Welcome to the Delaware Casa Live podcast. I am Lauren Bruckner, the State Training Director, and I'm your host for today. This is episode number nine. It's so hard to believe we're at number nine already. Um, And it's the end of June, which is shocking. I feel like sometimes time crawls by, but also flies Mm -hmm. by. I'm not quite sure how that works, but somehow it seems to feel that way. So anyway, this is episode number nine. And um, this week we are going to interview Jennifer Donahue. Um, She is the founder of the Office of the Investigative Coordinator. And I'll kind of get into that in just a moment. Um, But because this is our last podcast episode in the month, it is time for our state of the state. Um, So again, I'm going to do this one time per month since the numbers don't change too much um, and not everybody loves statistics. So we'll just do it for the last podcast of each month. So this is for episode number nine, which is released on Friday, June 26th of 2020. So as of today, we have a total of 534 children in foster care in Delaware. 256 of them are represented by an attorney only, and 269 of them are represented by a a child attorney and a CASA. We are still recruiting for just a few of those kids. Um, So breaking that down by county, in Kent County, we have a total of 121 kids in foster care with 45 of those children represented by an attorney only and 76 of them represented by a child attorney and a CASA volunteer. In Newcastle County, we have 307 kids in foster care, with 182 of them represented by an attorney only and 120 represented by a CASA and a child attorney. And in Sussex, we have 106 excuse me, 106 um, children in foster care, with 29 of them represented by an attorney only and 73 represented by a child attorney and a CASA volunteer. Um, We still do have 74 kids in extended jurisdictions. Sorry, I shouldn't say kids. I should say young adults. Um, So these are the young young folks between the ages of 18 and 21 who have agreed to extended jurisdiction. So we have 74 of them statewide. Um, We have 43 of those represented by an attorney only and 31 represented by a child attorney and a CASA volunteer. In Kent County, we have 16 total with seven represented by an attorney only and nine represented by a child and an attorney. In Newcastle County, we have 50 children, young adults on extended jurisdiction, with 32 of them represented by an attorney only and 18 represented by a child attorney and a CASA volunteer. In Sussex, we're still at eight with an even split of four and four between a child attorney, uh, an attorney only and a child attorney and a CASA volunteer. So keep up the good work. Um, all things are, are going well, everybody. I want to thank everybody for their incredible flexibility um, as we navigate this um, current pandemic situation. Um, I do also want to let everybody know that as of July 1st, which is next week, we are swearing in a group of CASAs. There are 10 of them total. Um, So to date, we are finishing off our fourth pre-service CASA training. So that's our pre-service for new CASA volunteers. We've had a total of four trainings so far this year um, with about 44 CASAs being sworn in. So that is awesome. And I want to welcome all those new CASA volunteers. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Jen Donahue from the Office of the Investigative Coordinator. Warm bed. You just remember what 
right. Welcome, Jen Donahue, to our podcast. Thank you, Lauren. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So um, can you introduce yourself to our CASA volunteers and kind of tell us about your professional background and just tell us about you? Sure. Hello, CASA volunteers. I am Jennifer Donahue. Um, I am uh, technically a child welfare attorney. Um, and I am currently working in the Office of the Child Advocate as the Investigation Coordinator. Um, that has been since 2013. Prior to that, uh, I was uh, working in um, the, uh, uh, I was working for a judge uh, right after law school, and it was a family court judge. And then I went on to uh, work for a small family law firm. Uh, handling custody cases, child support, um, representing victims of domestic violence for uh, protection from abuse orders, and um, just in the family court realm. Um, and then I came uh, to uh, uh, the Office of the Child Advocate in 2007, and I've been there ever since. Oh my gosh, has it really been since 2007? It's been a really long time, wow. 12 and a half years, just about, except there was a, a short time, a short hiatus where I was still working for the state, but I was transferred over to the kids department for a couple years, but I still consider myself OCA for the entire time. Yeah, sure, so, regardless it was child yeah. welfare. <laughs> exactly. That's um, awesome. Um, so, so you are the investigator, investigative coordinator for the office of the investigation coordinator. Is that, is that right? Yes. Yes. I know it's like a, it's a, it's a long, uh, office name <laughs> and it does not really describe what we do in its title. Um, uh, but yes. So as I said, um, when I, when I first joined OCA in 2007, I was a deputy child advocate. So I was, uh, representing kids that come through the, the foster system, such as, uh, your CASA volunteers know very much about that. So I did that from 2007 to, 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 uh, 2013. And then I took this position as investigation coordinator. And, um, there's a lot of history that goes behind, um, this office, um, did you want me to go through a little bit of that? Yeah, if you don't mind, okay. that'd be great. Sure. So the Office of the Investigation Coordinator um, was really created after uh, what many people have experienced here in Delaware was the tragedy of the Earl Bradley uh, sex abuse cases. Um, so once that tragedy hit Delaware in 2009, there was, um, some, some of your volunteers may remember, um, there was uh, a governor's review of, of exactly what went wrong and where there was some miscommunication in not identifying exactly the crimes that, that, that this doctor was perpetrating against our children. So there was a long uh, sort of uh, investigation. Uh, Dean Ammons from the Delaware Law School did um, an in-depth, uh, independent review of what went wrong and she determined she made she she developed a report and had some recommendations and one of the recommendations that uh, she she uh, said that would help um, avoid another tragedy like this was to have an independent office created to track and monitor uh, sex abuse cases. So in essence, my office was created in order to make sure that there is a multidisciplinary response. So all of our team members um, communicate in cases where there's sexual abuse, um, sex trafficking, and also serious physical injury and deaths of children. So in 2013, 
my office was created actually by uh, statute, by, by law. Um, and I began in May of 2013, um, just with a pad of paper and, uh, and a desk. <laughs> How <laughs> and far said, you come. Okay. <laughs> I know. They said, okay, now uh, you need to make sure everyone's doing uh, what they're supposed to do and making sure these cases don't fall through the cracks. So it, it was a big challenge. It was a big challenge. But I, I, was, I was ready and willing to take it on. Gotcha. So once once you got your office set up and your pad of paper, like what were some of the first steps you took to to get started? The, one of the first steps was how am I going to get notice of cases of sex abuse that are reported to the Division of Family Services? So I said, how am I going to get notice of those cases, and how am I going to uh, figure out how to track all of these all of these cases and these children, um, both intrafamilial and extrafamilial, so cases that happen within the family and outside of the family. Uh, when we started, there we had no idea that there would be the volume of sexual abuse cases in Delaware as we're seeing today. So um, I think I was a little bit, um, I guess, ignorant in thinking that, you know, a simple database would help me. So my first step was to actually meet with the Division of Family Services um, and their cabinet secretary. And we went into, we, we entered into sort of a memorandum of understanding and agreement that I would have access to their database and they would give me uh, any case that comes through the hotline if it falls within uh, the sexual abuse, sexual sex trafficking, serious physical injury and death, that it would come directly to me. And then I could track, start tracking those cases in my independent um, database. So it was, it was a little bit tricky to try to work through all that, um, you know, having an outsider come in and have access to the DFS database was something that was a little scary for DFS, <laughs> you yes, know, and I understand yes. it. Um, so <clears throat> that was my first step. And then my second step was to really get my, my the office uh, mission and the office name out into the community and to my system partners, because uh, no one knew really what I was doing. They just would they, they knew that this office was being created, but they didn't realize exactly what I was doing. So re the reach out to all of our partners was, was something that took a really long time. And also to get their trust, um, that, that was difficult too. Gotcha. And when you say partners, like who, who are some of your partners? Uh, we refer to them as our multidisciplinary team members, and those are uh, a variety of different agencies. Uh, Division of Family Services, like I said, the Department of Justice, uh, the various uh, deputy attorney generals that, that are in the Special Victims Unit. We have all the law enforcement agencies, uh, the Children's Advocacy Center, uh, of course, OCA, uh, and we have some medical and mental health providers as well. And uh, it's, it's that group of individuals who are responsible for making sure these cases uh, are progressing through the criminal case and the civil case. And when I say civil case, I mean that if the case is active with DFS um, and, and it will go through possibly the family court process and the civil side. And then often we will have the criminal investigation if a crime has been committed in these cases. So that is the progression through the criminal system, Department of Justice and law enforcement. And my office is in charge of monitoring both of those systems. So what we do is once we, once we get a report, 
of a sexual abuse case, for instance, uh, we will then ha have that case inputted into our database. We will we will then track that from the beginning of the case with DFS and the beginning of the case with law enforcement and just make sure that, that all of our partners are communicating to make sure that these victims are receiving both safety on the civil side and justice um, if a crime has been committed and on the criminal side. So it's really a matter of really transparency and accountability by all the agencies that are involved. And that was one of the problems that was with the Dr. Bradley cases or Earl Bradley cases is that everyone was working in silos. Um, law enforcement was doing their thing. DFS was doing their thing, etc. And no one was communicating. And so what happens is information is not shared. People are not communicating. The child's best interests are not served. So we've we found that a multidisciplinary team where everyone is exchanging information confidentially is the best way to go to protect these kids and, and make sure their cases move through the system. Wow, yeah, okay. I can just imagine what it's like trying to keep up with everybody and everything. <laughs> it's a little tricky. It's a little tricky, uh, yeah, but there's times where um, – we have to reach out to uh, the law enforcement agencies and, and, and request information. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a challenge, but because we've, we've been doing this now for seven years, which is hard to believe, uh, the law enforcement's familiar with our office. Uh, we They understand that we're here as a resource, which is another big part of our, of, of our uh, office, is if there's any concerns or problems or uh, conflict between the MDT members, they can come to us as an independent uh, agency and, and we can try to work with them to sort of come to common ground. And that, that has been something that is uh, I really enjoy doing is sort of being that mediator um, because we all come from different areas, you know, and your CASA volunteers see that too with their cases. Uh, we've got some, you know, we've got the, the parents' attorneys, you know, you've got your DFS attorneys and the parents and the child, and everyone has sort of a different view of what's best. Uh, but when it comes down to it, I think we all agree, and we ultimately end up agreeing what's best for the child. So it's an interesting job. Yeah, <laughs> I bet it's never a dull moment, and it's something different every day. It truly is. It truly is. Oh my gosh. So, um, so can you kind of walk us through kind of a, a, a vague um, overview, I guess, of what happens when a case comes in? Like, how does it actually get to you? What, what steps are taken? Um, and kind of what's the procedure? Sure. So um, let's let's go with a um, a serious physical injury case. Um, if a serious physical injury of a child, uh, that case will be called uh, through the DFS hotline, and that's usually done by either law enforcement or one of the first responders on the scene where the child was injured. And once that's once that hotline report is made to DFS, um, it is it is sort of said to our office, um, we get a data extract uh, of all the different serious injury cases. And so once we get notice of that serious physical injury case, the first thing that my office does, and I have three people who work with me, uh, Jen Perry, Shana Ciparone, and Marissa Reed. They're my uh, case review specialists. Uh, Jen Perry is the serious physical injury specialist. Um, so Jen and I will take a look at that hotline report and we will immediately uh, prepare a two-page, uh, what we call is an IC referral. And that referral outlines 
uh, exactly what the issue is with that case. So it says that exactly what happened to that child, the child's information, the parent's information, the suspect information. We go through the DFS, uh, a snapshot of, of the DFS history with, with the parents or the caretakers and the criminal history of the parents and the care or the caretakers. And what uh, one of the most important pieces of the work that we do is to make sure, and when I said previously, to make sure that the multidisciplinary team is communicating, what we work off of is what's called a memorandum of understanding for uh, the investigate best practices investigation of child abuse cases. We just call it the MOU, the Delaware MOU. And so when I send out that referral for that serious physical injury case, I refer to the MOU and it gives a little bit of a reminders to each MDT member as to what they need to do in order to comply with our MOU. And for instance, that would be for law enforcement and DFS to have a joint response, which means that they both go out together and make contact with uh, the family and with the victim if the victim you know, is, is, is uh, verbal and, and, and uh, available. And it's a, it's a joint response. And also law enforcement under the MOU required to do a scene investigation, uh, evidence collection, search warrants, that sort of thing. So it's really the IC referral for a serious injury case gives the MDT a snapshot of all of the players in the case and what needs to be done. Uh, once that IC referral goes out, um, one of my case review specialists will then input that case into our independent database. And our database then uh, is triggered to track that case, like I said, through both the civil and the criminal. We gather various data points throughout the case to make sure there's compliance with the MOU. And then at the end of the case, when both sides are closed, we will identify sort of strengths if it was a, a positive uh, response or if there are weaknesses in a case where the MOU was not followed. Um, and we have reports that we uh, have on a quarterly basis. We prepare those and we bring those to the Child Protection Accountability Commission or CPAC and we present our findings. And hopefully the goal at that point is to make, if there are system weaknesses that still exist, then our, our recommendations will help change those. And if we see something that isn't working well, uh, we then recommend a change to make sure that this would be best for the child. Hmm. Um, so, you know, for instance, there was a couple cases that um, occurred in the school systems, and we found that uh, there were sex there were sex abuse cases involved in the school system, and we found that the school was actually uh, school personnel sometimes doing the interviews of the child instead of sending that child to the children's advocacy center for a forensic interview. So we've we've worked with the schools and the Department of Education, and we now they now have a protocol in place to make sure that the child is not interviewed several times. You know that if there are allegations of any sort of abuse, that that child would go to the CAC for a forensic interview. So it's not just about collecting data uh, and monitoring. It's really about the bigger picture. If we find that there's weaknesses or find that, that there's trends that need change, we then make recommendations for change. Wow. Okay. Gotcha. So when you're talking about cases, like give us an idea of how many cases your your organization, your agency like handles. 
Well, we uh, uh, currently we have about 1,000 cases that we're currently uh, open and monitoring. And I would say anywhere between 85% and 90% fall under sexual abuse, uh, and then followed by serious injury and then child death. Wow. yeah, it's primarily the, the sexual abuse cases that we track. Um, and a big part of, of making sure that those cases are monitored is also making sure that there are mental health services that are available for the child. So we were very cognizant of the fact that these children need referrals for those services. Um, and if they're very young children, uh, that both, both children involved in the incident um, are provided with mental health services, uh, but it, it, it's it's a complicated um, it's a complicated system out there, um, and there's a lot of players. Um, but we're we're doing our best to keep track. We have a very good database um, to monitor everything, and um, we've had some good feedback from our system partners saying, "Okay, we understand your role, and we want to work together." Yeah, wow. Well, that's good. That's definitely a positive. Um, in definitely. The, yeah. In the seven years that your office has been in existence, um, is it pretty drastic and kind of amazing to like look back where you were when you first started in 2013 to where you are in 2020? It, it is. It, it certainly is. And, you know, I have to say that it, it's just been it's been a it's it's definitely been a roller coaster. But all in all, um, I have to look to so many other people who have helped me create uh, the office. You know, yes, I, I sat down and said, okay, how am I going to do this? But it was with the help of so many other people, especially Tanya Cully in our office, um, helping create uh, the vision of this database and the vision of, of, of our office. So, yeah, it's pretty it's, it's pretty neat uh, that we've come this far. You know, um, we have so much more to do, but we we have a, we have a good plan and protocol ahead of us. So we're we're continuing to fight the good fight. Yeah. So speaking of vision, kind of where do you see your office in the future, like in the next five years or so? Uh, in the next five years, uh, I hope that we are in a place where we can have cases that are moved a little bit more quickly through each system. And um, in order to do that, we're hoping that uh, my office will take over what's called the uh, MDT case review. Uh, MTT case review happens on a monthly basis, um, and it's currently now conducted at the Children's Advocacy Center every month in each county. Um, And it's a review of all the cases that are pending. Um, But what we find is that there are so many cases that um, are sort of sitting idle, um, that aren't progressing through the systems quick enough. Um, And so what we want to do is we want these cases to move efficiently, we want them to be um, appropriately investigated, uh, especially on the law enforcement side. Um, so we, we, what our hope is, is once we take over case review, um, that we, we encourage all the partners to um, address the child victim cases uh, as a priority uh, and move them, move them quickly. Um, what we do know about kids is um, they, they often need to have a, a that intervention quickly. Um, they need to have that CAC interview so that they can disclose any abuse sooner rather than later. Um, their little minds sometimes do not hold as much information for as long as ours do. 
and we want to make sure these cases move a little bit more quicker. Um, one other vision that our office has is to develop, and we're working on this now, is legislation to create a new crimes against children's uh, children code mm-hmm. um, so that all child victims and all crimes against children are have their own separate criminal code. And that is important for a lot of reasons, but for the first is that child victims are very, very different than adult victims, as we know. They're vulnerable. Um, they do not have the voice that they um, that adults have. Um, with the Casa Volunteers, thankfully, they do have that voice. Um, but they're a special group. And so we hope that ultimately within the next year or so, we will have that criminal code uh, in place that is sort of a, um, I guess, an indication that our state values and um, appreciates the vulnerability of our children, especially through the criminal process. Um, so that's sort of where where, where I see us uh, moving is, mm-hmm. you know, expediting these cases, taking them seriously, um, and just understanding that these kids deserve justice just as if they were adults. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. That is amazing. Um, And I guess my kind of last question for you, is there anything else you want to share with us about the Office of the Investigation Coordinator? Well, um, I would just say, as I said before, you know, we're here as a resource for the team. And if there is um, one of these cases where uh, DFS does take custody uh, and it's a sex abuse or serious injury or death case and uh, the CASA volunteers are part of that MDT, you know, um, my office is here as as a resource and we're here to work together. Um, We have access to a lot of information Um, once, once, you know, we're involved in a case together, we can confidentially... um, provide some information if, if any of the MDT members needs that. So, you know, I hope your CASA volunteers, if they ever hear of, of my office and if we're involved, um, I hope they understand that we're here as a resource and as a support as well. Wonderful, Jed. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Wow, what a great chat with Jen Donahue of the Office of the Investigation Coordinator. So she mentioned to me that um, she doesn't have too many cases where Division of Family Services does actually take custody of a child. And remember that CASAs are only appointed once DFS does take custody. So not too many cases that come across her office will involve DFS taking custody and a CASA volunteer, but it might. So just as a heads up that if you do end up having um, a sexual abuse issue happening, in your case or serious injury or anything along those lines where you think that the Office of the Investigation Coordinator might be able to serve as a resource or might be able to provide some information or anything, you just have some more questions, please reach out to your CASA coordinator. Your coordinator can get you in touch with Jen Donahue in her office um, and maybe we can um, streamline any efforts that are occurring or at least explain kind of what might be happening, if at all possible, um, on the criminal side and kind of discuss the, the civil side. But uh, the purpose of the investigation coordinator is to coordinate all efforts relating to kids. So they may serve as a resource. So if you have any questions or if it might ap- appeal to your case, sorry, apply to your case, then um, go ahead and ask your CASA coordinator. Maybe they can help. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. And as the years go by, a friendship will never die.